There has been a lot that has happened over the last couple of weeks on the world stage, hasn't there? And I'm sure seeing things unfold in Israel and all, it, it, it brings to mind a lot of questions. And one of the things that uh, inevitably is going to come to mind, and the timing of this is kind of crazy, isn't it? As we're walking through Revelation and we're seeing these things happen, of course, people want to know, is this it? Is this the end? Um, you know, and a couple of thoughts along those lines. One, it certainly should get our attention. Uh, at the same time, this is not the first time there has been a conflict in Israel. It's not the first time that people have kind of started to say this is the end. Uh, yes, we are moving more in that direction. I don't think it's time to you know, sell everything you have and go move out on a mountaintop somewhere. But at the same time, it is time to be very aware and to have our eyes open and to realize it's crazy to see how these things do fit into what we've been studying in the book of Revelation. And it's kind of crazy to me to think it's only been two weeks. So two weeks ago yesterday on October 7th is when Hamas uh, attacked in Israel and it was nothing short of pure evil and just the devastation, and over the last couple of weeks, more details have come out of just the, the, um, the violent and just unthinkable nature of what was done to you know, infants and families and just horrible, horrible things that have taken place. And right after that, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke, and when he spoke right after the attack that, the day of on October 7th, you could see that he was visibly angry. And... I can't imagine anybody watching his response being either surprised or offended in any way to see him respond in anger. In fact, it would have been really weird, wouldn't it, if he had gotten on and just been totally calm and everything's fine and, you know, we just want to be nice so we're not going to do anything to respond. I mean, th that would have been weird, right? That would have been totally inappropriate. There are times where an angry response is appropriate. Now, let's be real clear in saying this. Most of the time, our anger is not appropriate. Most of the time, our anger comes from our flesh. It comes as a result of us not getting what we want. But there are times where justice is perverted. There are times where, uh, you know, the, 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 the God is um, being defamed in a certain way that we should be angry. We see that even in the, in the life of Christ. Today, as we continue our study in Revelation, we're going to be in chapters 15 and 16, and we're going to see God's angry. We've seen that quite a bit so far in Revelation, and there's going to be some response to this of um, just the rebellion. And uh, we've talked for uh, a little while now about the fact that, you know, God's Bringing justice is delayed significantly. And sometimes we look at it and we think, you know, maybe we are getting closer uh, to, to the end. We certainly, not maybe, we are getting closer to the end. We don't know how close we are. We certainly are getting closer. But it, it seems to be a long time. We talked about this two or three weeks ago. Why is it that there's such a delay? Second Peter 3, 9 uh, says that, that God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So God is giving opportunity for us to have a change of heart. And by the way, as you're praying for Israel, as you're praying for uh, what's going on in that area, the primary thing we should be praying for is that people come to Jesus through this. That is number one. There are a lot of things we need to be praying for, but that's number one. Uh, but God's desire is that people would come to faith in Christ, and so he gives us the opportunity, uh, and eventually that time will run out. 
And that's what we're reading about today, Revelation 15. Now, before we jump in, let me give you a quick review because we did take a Sunday off. It's the first time since we started Revelation. I was out last week. We took a little Sunday break from that, and Colin did a fantastic job with a message that tied in very well to what we've been talking about. But just a quick review. Uh, we have, we've seen in the book of Revelation so far the plagues that have come from the opening of the seven seals. We've seen the seven trumpets. We got into chapter uh, 12 where Satan is permanently cast out of heaven. He makes war against the people of God. Isn't it crazy if you remember chapter 12 where it says that uh, the woman, which represents the nation of Israel, gave birth and he went out to make war against her. And I'm like, oh, okay, I think we see that happening right now. We saw that there will come uh, what, what the Bible calls a beast, or in other places, the Antichrist. There will be this political ruler. There will be a religious leader, a second beast that will come. that will cause people to worship the image of the first beast. Believers at that time, those who've come to faith in Christ, church has been raptured already, but those who come to faith in Christ will receive the mark of God on their forehead, but then they will also not receive the mark of the beast and will be tormented, they will be persecuted, many will be put to death, and it will be a really, really difficult time uh, for believers. But then in chapter 14, where we left off last time, the end of chapter 14, it's the only place we see in Scripture where an angel is proclaiming the gospel. An angel is actually flying over the earth saying, Woe to you, and you better, you better repent. Those that have received the mark of the beast, because um, God's justice is coming and the consequences will be severe. And that's where we are today. Revelation 15, read with me, starting in verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your, your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked in the sanctuary. The tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues. Clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls. Full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So verse 1, we'll get into those plagues here in a moment in chapter 16. But verse 1 says that with these plagues, the wrath of God is finished. So here's my question for you. You ever heard that phrase before? It is finished. I read this and it takes me back to the last words of Jesus on the cross, John 19, 30. says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The last words of Jesus on the cross before he died were, it is finished. When Jesus spoke those words, to telestai in Greek, he was saying that everything necessary in order to pay the, the sin debt that we owe has all been taken care of. It's finished. The debt has been paid, and the wrath of God has been satisfied. You know what that means for us? 
It means that when we read things like what we're seeing in the book of Revelation, we see the wrath of God being poured out. We don't have to worry about that if we're children of God. We don't ever have to worry about the wrath of God. Jesus died to satisfy that on our behalf. Now, we will never be able to be good enough. We will never earn forgiveness. We will never be righteous on our own in God's eyes. But Jesus was the righteous one. He was the one who lived a sinless life. And that's what qualified him to die in our place to take our payment for sin upon himself. And when he, when he died and when he, he was just screaming out, it is finished. He was saying that, that it's all done. Everything is complete. The good news is that means that we do not ever have to worry about the wrath of God. Now, if all of this is fairly new to anybody today, let me just be really clear about this. That does not mean that we are automatically forgiven, that we are automatically put in right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. He gave us the opportunity. He did everything necessary to pay that debt. But we have to come to a point of receiving it. We have to come to a point of putting our, our faith or our trust in Jesus where we say, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I will never be good enough in your eyes, God, but I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins. And we come to a point of surrender. We come to a point where we say, I give you my life. I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm asking you to be in control of my life. And if you've not taken that step yet, I urge you, let today be your day that you say yes to Jesus. You surrender your life to him. I can't urge you strongly enough. Because here's the thing. If we don't, then we still are under the wrath of God. We might not experience it the way we're reading about it yet in this life, but either in this life or in the life to come, if apart from Christ, we do experience God's wrath. And that's not something we want to have anything to do with. We don't have to. We experience God's discipline as children of God, but not the wrath of God because Jesus died for that. So it says in, in chapter 15 that the wrath of God is about to be finished Verse 2 talks about the sea of glass. We've seen that before. This time it says it's mingled with fire, which indicates judgment. We see that around this, this sea of glass, it says, uh, are those who conquered the beast and its image. Remember the image they were forced to, to worship. And the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So these are, this is a picture of the martyrs. We talked about the, the persecution, that those who came to faith in Christ um, after the rapture of the church, there are still many who will come to Christ, but then they will be tormented, they will be tortured, they, they will be killed in many cases. And he's describing these martyrs in terms of those who conquered the beast. Now, isn't that interesting? He uses the term conquered. It seems a little odd, doesn't it, to say that they conquered the beast when the beast is the one, the Antichrist is the one who actually put them to death. So from a human perspective, it seems that the beast conquered them, not the other way around. But in God's eyes, they conquered the beast. Why? Because they remained faithful. And yes, he was able to take their lives from them, but they remained faithful to God. They refused to give in. They didn't receive the mark of the beast. They didn't worship the, the image of the beast. That's a great reminder to me that when we think about 
uh, what it means to live as an overcomer. There's a lot of talk about that in Christian circles sometimes, right? Living as an overcomer. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go our way, uh, that, that we won't suffer setbacks, that we won't be persecuted. To overcome means to not give in. It means to say no matter what the consequences are, if, even if it costs me my life, that I will remain faithful to Christ. That's how you conquer. That's how you, you overcome. And that's hard. Because the temptations are all around us. And whatever challenges may be in your life right now, I just want to remind you that being a conqueror means being faithful in the midst of those. Just remaining true and not letting anything take you off of that path. Verse 3 says that those who conquered were given harps and they were singing the song of Moses and, and the song of Jesus and this made me chuckle a little bit because I've said before, you know, our image of heaven, I think a lot of that was influenced by cartoons that at least when I was growing up, you see the little cherub with his little harp sitting on an angel in heaven and that was heaven. And it's like, no, we see a whole lot more than that in Revelation. It's a lot more exciting than that, uh, than just sitting on a cloud playing a harp. But hey, they are playing harps here. So there is some truth to that, I guess. But I think that just, that's, that's communicating peacefulness. Again, remember, these are people who are murdered. These are martyrs who lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now they're in a place, they're, they're playing these harps, they're in a peaceful place before God. They're singing this song, and it's interesting, it says the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Um, I, I think it's a combination of, it's bringing together the Old Testament law and then Jesus satisfying the requirements of the Old Testament law. Moses and Christ bringing them together. And that's the song that they sing. And it's a song of talking about God's worthiness and you know, amazing your deeds and justice. Just are your ways and who will not fear you and you alone are to be worshipped. I mean, it's just, it's just this exuberant song of praise. And then right out of that, the very next verse, verse 5, says that they see the sanctuary. And into verse 6, uh, the sanctuary and, and these seven angels coming. And they are coming with plagues. Now, where did the plagues come from? The plagues are coming out of the sanctuary of God. Did you notice that? They, they don't meet with Satan in some back dark alley to receive these plagues. These plagues come out of the sanctuary. And, and if we had any question about whether God is righteous in these plagues that are being brought on the people, it, it makes it even clearer when it says that they were clothed in pure bright linen. Throughout Revelation, when you see that pure bright linen, that represents... Um, righteousness, justice, purity because of Christ. There's nothing impure about what they're doing. They have a golden sash around their chest. And it says even one of the four living creatures gives them the bowl of God's wrath. So all of this is coming from a place of God being completely righteous. Now before we move on, let me just say something out loud that I think needs to be said. We worship God as He is not as we want him to be. If we get uncomfortable with the plagues and the wrath and all this, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. I don't like reading about it. It makes me uncomfortable to read about that. But, but we have to remind ourselves, God is who he is. And God is righteous. Uh, we don't create God in our image. He created us in his. We worship God as he is. As, as many of you may know, uh, last weekend, 
we got to go visit my daughter, uh, youngest daughter in College Station, and it was great. We don't get to do that very often for obvious reasons uh, on a weekend. And so uh, we were gone and uh, just enjoyed time with her. The, the real reason that we came, we don't have grandchildren yet, but we do have grand dogs. And so we get, we get requests to uh, babysit grand dogs. And I'm sure that'll someday turn into grandchildren at some point down the road. But right now, we, we went to babysit Oakley and uh, had a great time. Autumn had a retreat. And while we were there, just a little extra, uh, you know, extra cherry on top, we got to meet the brand new boyfriend. So if you follow Autumn on social media, you may see this. It's kind of a big deal with her. But so we met this guy, and I got to hand it to him because she was at a retreat uh, on Saturday, and he came out to meet me to play pickleball. That's my new obsession these days. But he came to meet me to play pickleball on Saturday morning, so he's meeting his brand new girlfriend's dad for the first time without her even there. So I'm like, okay, good, good for you, a little courage there. Met him, nice guy, really enjoyed getting to know him. But it, it, it made me think about just what it's like establishing a relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic type of relationship. This is true of any relationship. When you are establishing a new relationship, you, you need to get to know who that person is so you can base that relationship on who they are, not on who you want them to be. Has anybody ever tried to build a relationship based on who you wanted someone to be rather than who they really are? And if so, you know, it doesn't work out so well, does it? We, we can't really base a relationship on who we want someone to be. And as I was reading this, I thought, you know what? I, I, my goal is to get to know God. I want to have a deep relationship with God. And because that's true, I base that relationship on who God is, not who I want him to be. And if there are parts of God's character and who God is that make us uncomfortable, then so be it. We don't change that. We don't create God in our image. He created us in his. And, and what we see is that God is a God who will bring justice. And part of that justice is this wrath of God, these plagues that just get increasingly severe. Let's, let's read about them. Chapter 16, follow along with me here. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing uh, that was every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, "Just are you, O holy one, who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve." And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed." 
and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So these last bowls of God's wrath, you might notice there is some similarity to some of the previous um, trumpets and, and opening of the seals that we have seen previously in the book of Revelation. You might also notice there's some real similarity to the plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians when they were in bondage and he was leading his people out of Egypt. So we'll, we'll see some of those similarities. The first one is this plague of painful sores that broke out on those who had the mark of the beast. Now remember from chapter 13, those who refused to get the mark of the beast were, were cut off. They were not allowed to buy and sell. They are going to be starving to death. So there's a lot of pain inflicted on those who do not receive the mark of the beast. Now it's God turning the tables. Now it's those who did receive the mark of the beast are going to receive these painful sores. Again, we've, we've seen this before. Uh, sounds a lot like the boils that broke out on the Egyptians in the sixth plague uh, that God brought on them. But, you know, all of us have had painful sores on our body at some point in time, right? You've had that, that type of a, a sore that just, it just throbs all throughout the day. And if you happen to accidentally bump it or, or, or even sometimes if something just lightly brushes up against it, I mean, it just sets you on fire, the pain that goes through your body. I mean, think about having painful sores all over your body. Just what, what torment that would be. That's the first of the bowls of God's wrath. And then the second bowl is that he turns the sea to blood. Now again, this should sound familiar because this was the, the first plague on the Egyptians. And it was the second of the trumpet judgment. Uh, which turned a third of the sea to blood. And it said it killed a third of all the living creatures in the sea. So you get this first, a third of the sea turns to blood. We talked about this when we were in that passage. That, that a third of everything dying uh, one of the things that I learned, I did not know this, is that, that 50% of the oxygen that we consume as human beings comes from plankton that, that is in the oceans. When you think about a third of that going away, what impact is that going to have? Well, now the other two-thirds that were left are now entirely gone because all the sea turns to blood. Everything in it dies. I mean, again, you, you're getting the, the, the picture of the devastation here. So the sea turns to blood and then the third one is the fresh water also turns to blood when you want to talk about a water shortage crisis we think we have issues now all the the, the fresh water has turned to blood and then in verse 5 through 7 there's this fascinating little interlude here right in the middle of the judgments where he just comes back and says yeah this is a reminder to us you know, just are you, O Holy One, for you brought these judgments. He's just, you know, over and over and over again, the book of Revelation emphasizes the judgments of God, though they may be harsh, they are just. God is completely just in the things that he is bringing about. Uh, and, and then he's, he's talking in verse 6 about those that shed the blood of the saints and prophets. Do you remember back, I believe it was chapter 6, when the martyrs are before God and they're crying out to God and they say, how much longer until you avenge our blood? And God's response at that time was, you, there's more time. There are more who need to die. Well, now that time has come. And it says he's given them blood to drink because that's what they deserve. Just a, a devastating judgment. And then the fourth plague that we see 
is God scorching people with the sun. Again, this is somewhat similar to the fourth trumpet, but in reverse. The plague of the fourth trumpet was a third of the sun, the stars, and the moon were cut off. This is going the other direction. This is intensifying the sun, and people are being scorched with the sun. Again, think about the impact that that would have worldwide. You think about uh, you know, things like the, the ice sheets and uh, you know, areas like Greenland and Antarctica and all that, and just the water levels. What would that do in addition to people just being scorched by the sun? But think about you know, if, if sea level were, were to rise significantly. I mean, just, some of the, just in the United States, for example, some of the major cities, Miami is 30 feet above sea level, Houston 83 feet above, New Orleans 25 feet, Jacksonville, Florida 40 feet above sea level. I mean, just think about all of these being underwater. And we, we've seen that, right? New Orleans, Houston, just in, in fairly recent times where massive flooding has just done catastrophic damage. I mean, think about the impact of this in addition to just being scorched. Um, it's, it's tough, tough to wrap our minds around. But then verse 9 says that people cursed the name of God. They knew he had power over these plagues. But it says, but they didn't repent. And that's what we keep seeing over and over and over in Revelation. It's like they're, they're just refusing to repent. And then we go from one extreme to another. And the next of the, 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 the uh, plagues here, after the, the sun being uh, brought with intense heat, the next one is darkness. There's this plague of darkness, which again might sound familiar. You, you might recall that was the fourth of the ten plagues in Egypt. It was a plague of darkness. You know, we are just wired, our bodies are wired with a need for light. And one of the ways that hell is described in the Bible is a place of darkness. In fact, Jude 1.13 describes it as utter darkness. Or some translations say blackest darkness. You know, the reason that darkness is so awful is because it represents a total absence of God. In Revelation, we'll get to this uh, here in a few weeks, but Revelation 22 is talking about the, the, the uh, temple and the, uh, the new uh, dwelling place of God. And it says that there's no need for the sun because Jesus is the light. His light just permeates throughout all of heaven. I mean, God is light, but the absence of God is darkness. And they are gnawing their tongues because they're in so much darkness. There's just a complete absence of God. And then the, the next of the sixth bowl that is poured out, it says the river Euphrates dries up. Well, why does that matter? That matters because it opens the, the passageway for the kings from the east to invade and allows them direct access to them. Verse uh, 13 clearly says that Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are behind all of this, that the kings that, that are going to come to make war at this place called Armageddon. But God's allowing that to happen. Um, and, and we saw this, this false trinity back in chapters 12 and 13. You know, you've got the dragon, Satan, tempting to be like God the Father. You've got the Antichrist tempting to be like Christ. And then you have this false prophet attempting to be like the Holy Spirit. And here they're going to come, and, and it says that they have these unclean spirits like frogs coming out of their mouths. That's interesting, isn't it, that it uses frogs to, be, to represent these unclean spirits. Now, um, if you were to, to ask my wife, Sean, you just, she'll, she'll be out there when service is over, so you just go by and ask her. Ask her, you know, what do you think about 
demonic spirits and frogs. And she'll tell you real quickly that she has no problem associating frogs with demons because she hates them. I'm just going to tell you, frogs freak her out entirely. In fact, one of my favorite memories when, when Stephen and Natalie weren't even working at the church yet. They were over at our house. They were leaving our house for the very first time. This was their introduction to Sean. She opened the door, and on the threshold of our door was a frog. And, y'all, she let out a scream that rattled our neighbor's foundation. I'm not kidding. Just, I mean, just that, that whole thing of frogs and demons. I, I'm not real sure exactly why they choose them other than this. I know that frogs make a lot of noise, but they don't really do anything, right? And, uh, you know, unlike a, a lion that can back up its roar or a dog that can back up its bark, frogs, all they can do is pee on you if you pick them up. You know, that's about as much as they've got. There's a lot of noise. But, but not, much, not much happening there. All right, let's finish the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of hail because the plague was so severe. This last plague here is natural disaster. And it talks about earthquake. This is shocking to think. An earthquake unlike has ever been recorded before. Did you know there are five earthquakes in our history that have registered a 9.0 or greater on the Richter scale? And yet this says that there will, this will be an earthquake unlike anything they've ever seen. It splits the great city into, into three different parts. It sinks the islands. The mountains completely disappear. You know, you're just getting the, the magnitude of what is happening here and then on top of that as if the earthquake were not enough God sends a plague of hail now we've seen that already in the book of Revelation but this is a whole new category because this it says hundred pound hailstones 100 pound hailstones think about the damage that would do if you lived in this area in 2016 you know damage that hail can do right I mean, we, we've got some pictures here from, from that. And, and these are hailstones. I think we do anyway. These are hailstones. There we go. That, that just, you know, these were maybe about a half a pound. That was the heaviest and some of the, big, which some of the biggest ones recorded. You know, busting through roofs. I mean, look at the size of the imprint on the, the windshields. I mean, these were really, really large. Like softball-sized hail weighs about half a pound. 100-pound hailstones. That God is going to send. And the devastation will just be unbelievable. Why is God doing all this? He's doing this because evil needs to be completely eradicated. That's the point. Let me close with just this one illustration. Suppose you went to the doctor. The doctor says to you the words you never want to hear. And some of you have heard this yourselves. You have cancer. Maybe you're walking through that journey right now as we are in our family. Or maybe you have a friend or somebody that you're close to that is. And you know, nobody ever wants to hear that. But, but if that's the case, you need 
to cure that. You need to know, especially if there's opportunity to treat that, right? So the, the, the oncologist says you have cancer. The good news is we've identified that there is one large tumor that we are confident we can remove. So they schedule surgery. They remove the tumor. Doctor comes to see you afterwards, and, and uh, you say, how'd it go? And she says, it went well. You know, we removed that one tumor. Everything went really well. That's the good news. Okay. Is there some bad news? Well, yeah, actually, there is some bad news. The bad news is there were a few other smaller tumors in there that we didn't recognize, that we didn't see before we opened you up for surgery. Okay. Did you get those out as well? Well, we were going to, but, you know, it's getting close to lunchtime, and we were all kind of getting hungry, and so we decided we would just leave them in there. What would you do? You'd go nuts, right? You would sue for malpractice. I mean, nobody would do that. No surgeon would do that. You don't just leave a little bit of what's harmful in there and think it'll probably be okay. Guys, when it comes time for God to eliminate evil, it doesn't mean just removing the large tumors. It means cleaning everything out entirely. And the sad part of all of this is, as God is doing this, we, you see this phrase over and over again, that people cursed God, but they refused to repent. They cursed God, but they refused to repent. Here's my question for you. I've said this many times through this series. What is it going to take for God to get your attention? What's it going to take? Because even now, the things that we see happening in our world, the things that, that we maybe see happening in our own lives, should get our attention. And for some of you, God has your attention, maybe for the first time ever or first time in a long time. And if he has your attention, I just want to say this. Take whatever that next step is that God is leading you to take. For some, maybe it is trusting in Christ for the first time. For some, it's, it's taking a step to get involved in community, to, to grow in your faith by surrounding yourself with other people. For some, it's moving from being a consumer to being a contributor. It's finding a way to serve, finding a way to give, finding a way to, to, you know, to, to be a part of what God is doing. Whatever that next step is in your life, I want to encourage you to take that. I want to encourage you to say, God, I'm going to move toward whatever it is that you have for me today. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray today um, that, that you would help us, each one of us, to take steps of faith based on who you are lord we trust you we know that we worship you as you are now as we want you to be you are just you're righteous and all these things it's a lot to take in lord it's a lot to take in right now just to see what's going on in our world but lord we trust you we know that you're in control and i just pray that it's a wake-up call for us to follow you wholeheartedly in jesus name we pray amen